Welcome to Attachment Theory in Action, a weekly podcast presented by the Knowledge Center at Chaddock. Our podcast is dedicated to therapists, social workers, counselors, and psychologists working with clients from an attachment-based perspective. Join host Karen Doyle Buckwalter for an insightful, informative, and inspiring conversation with leading attachment theory researchers and clinicians in the field. Today, Karen concludes her two-part discussion with Kate White on the impact of pre- and perinatal experiences on attachment. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. I am Karen Doyle Buckwalter, your host, joining you here from Chaddock for another episode. Today, we're going to be speaking about a fascinating topic with Kate White. Our topic for today is the impact of pre- and perinatal experiences on attachment. And I'm really looking forward to introducing all of you to Kate. Let me tell you a little bit about her background. Um, She is a uh, cranial sacral and massage therapist, a prenatal and early childhood educator. And she is trained in various somatic therapies, prenatal and perinatal health, lactation, brain development, infant mental health, and has specialized in mother-baby dyad care using somatic prevention and trauma healing approaches for nearly 20 years. Uh, Kate uh, has uh, a BA and an MA in communications and is a registered cranial sacral therapist in the biodynamic cranial sacral method. And she is a somatic experiencing practitioner. And I know uh, many of our listeners are probably uh, familiar with somatic experiencing approaches. So her work could combine somatic therapy with brain development to give families with babies and small children the best possible start. She is the founding and former director of education for the Association of Prenatal and Perinatal Psychology and Health, uh, where she served from 2013 to 2019. And while there, she created a world-renowned prenatal and perinatal educator certificate certificate program, a large online educational program for professionals as well. She is currently a mentor in this program, teaches classes online and in person around the world. Um, The program is called the Integrated Prenatal and Perinatal Dynamics Program. She also uh, runs a private practice and offers her own seminars through the Center for Prenatal and Perinatal Programs. So I uh, hope you will stay with us and I will be having Kate join us in just a minute. Again, our topic is the impact of pre and perinatal experiences on attachment. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Attachment Theory in Action podcast. We are here to um, continue our discussion with Kate White, and it is a fascinating one, um, hearing about the impact of pre- and perinatal psychology on attachment. Um, It's just been a delight to talk with you about this. Thank you for being here, Kate. Yeah, this has been really fun. Thank you for having me, Karen. Yeah, so I know um, as we wrapped up uh, previously, we were talking about birth sequencing. And I think that's like a nice kind of 
concrete thing for people to like hang on to a little bit, you know? Um, and so maybe you could share that sequencing again, um, in case there's someone just picking up in part two here, um, maybe defining a little bit of the sequence and then we could go more into how you've seen that apply to situations. Yes. Um, yeah, I, I, uh, so there's a major key code. It's like, you want to have a way to decipher or decode what the impact is of birth on, on our, the way we are in our bodies. Um, and the way we often, I, we, it often shows up as in see is, is in transitions. It's how we, how we do things. And you yes. can ask, you can ask yourself a series of questions like, do you procrastinate? That's a real big pattern. I see. Do you, uh, do you rush? Um, do you do you get stuck? That's another huge pattern because mm. a stuck feeling that stuckness is is pretty common. Or 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 do you do things with lots of ease? Um, or do you do other parts of the of the beginning or the end? Because we all do things in a sequence, which is yes. beginning, middle, and end. And so for the birth sequence, it's how a baby uh, intend if you intend to be born, like. Intention is a, the beginning of a sequence. And if you can make a commitment to it, yeah, babies intend to be born. They actually start the whole sequence with the placenta, with their release of whatever the neuroendocrine hormone is that gets it going. Um, but, you know, there's an intention. I, I want to be born. Mothers know how to birth. And then it's how they enter into the pelvis is preparation, or that's the inlet. Then there's the action phase, which is how they navigate the pelvis. And then there's the outlet, like that's how they come, they, they come out, how they, they crown and emerge. There's a lot that happens there at the outlet for babies. Things can really speed up there, actually. Um, so it's a real practice to slow down when babies come in and be with the baby. It's nice if they can integrate or rest, which is at the end of the sequence, on their mother's body. So that whole sequence can show up in transitions. And when I'm working with parents or caregivers, it's, it's how children make transitions. And a lot of you know out there that we, a lot of us have a hard time making transitions. And with older children, it's how they go um, often bigger things like going from school age to high school. Or I've been with parents that, whose children just have a really hard time sequencing out into the adult world. I mean, we do sequencing all our lives and every day. Like, how do you do your day? So it's yeah. thinking about how the process unrolls. And then if you just start with this basic key code, like this, this how to look at it. Yes. And intention, preparation, action, follow through, and rest. So, you know, I'm thinking about this too, and I'd like to hear your thoughts on this. You know, so we – yeah in attachment theory, a very common concept is the internal working model. Mm -hmm. You know, how we view the world, how we view ourselves, what we expect to happen in relationships. And, you know, it seems to me, it's, I hope I'm not oversimplifying it, that you would say that internal working model is beginning in utero. Yes. Yes. Well, it's, it's our, how we come into relationship with our mother in utero and what is her experience. And 
I, I'm just not saying this. I mean, the, right. the, the, neuro, the neuroscientists. Right. The neuro, no, no. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Of course. Yes. No, no, no. Yes. 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 I, I was I, just trying to relate it to a, con, a, 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 concept. A, a concept that many are familiar with. Right. Yeah. Well, that's, 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 if you read the work of Thomas Verney in particular, his scientific papers, um, you know, if you are a, be, a being coming into form in a mother whose body is, say, has a lot of pollution or drugs or, um, you know, that's a part of your, or feels chronically unsafe. I mean, yes. the, the data on that's pretty profound. Like yes. during the Dutch famine or during yes. 9-11 or even now, I think, honestly, in the time of COVID, we're, we're in the middle of a huge scientific sort of thing unfolding, which is why... Yes. Like, I really think we should be supporting our pregnant moms right now and our babies, because I know this is an imprint. This is an imprint for these moms and babies. Yeah. But yes, the internal working model starts in utero with the basic question, am I safe? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So when you look at this sequencing, and it was really helpful, you know, your idea, how do you take a trip and thinking mm -hmm. about it in that way. Um, what are some things that you've seen with um, babies and children that you've worked with that, mm -hmm. that you see relating to this sequencing? How, how, you know, whether it be case studies or just common themes that you've seen related mm -hmm. to one's early experiences in, in utero and the actual birth. I'd love to hear about some of those. Well, yeah, I, I, yeah, I had a list of, of cases um, that I, I talked about in general. And the first one I talked about was induction. Um, yes. And, I mean, this is a very important part of the sequence. This is the beginning. This is our intention. And if a baby intends to be born, that's their own impulse. That's their capacity to find their way. Like I'm choosing, this is my leading, I want this. Um, and if a baby is induced there, they can, that, that is an interruption of, of finding their natural impulse. Yes. So if you have a child that has a hard time, if they get just very disoriented, as you say, it's time to go, or they can get enraged because they're mad because they're in, you know, they've been intruded upon without any explanation because mm -hmm. you don't explain things to a baby in utero. You don't say, you know what, your mother has preeclampsia. This isn't very dangerous for you and the mother. And I'm so sorry, but we're going to have to induce you. I know that that's going to be abrupt for you. And we can't wait to meet you on the outside, but we know this is the safest thing. And nobody's saying that to the baby. Right. And in fact, um, you know, there's all kinds of policies in different hospitals. It depends on where you are, but it can be a standard practice. You know, ACOG, I don't know if they still have it, but for a while there, they're like, we should induce at 39 weeks. For no reason, really, except for that it's getting close to 40 weeks. So, you know, it's it's... And when you and when you have that, you know, someone who's interrupted your intention, you just you just flounder in the world a lot. You don't have you, it's very confusing about how to find your way because your the beginning was was overwhelmed. And so often if you are induced, there's other things that happen because you weren't ready to be born. 
So there can be more a cascade of interventions that happen, including pain medicine and sometimes a cesarean section. And each of these has its own consequences. So I was teaching out in Seattle and I had a young woman who was so curious because I was teaching about the sequence. She went out and called her mother in the hallway in the break. I said, Mom, like, well, how was I born? And she goes, well, you were induced. So she came back and she put her hand up very brave. She gave me permission to tell the story and just said, you know, I was induced. And what does that mean for me? And I said, well, then you could have a couple reactions. One is you could get mad every time someone made a suggestion or wanted you to do it without your intention, you know, over overwhelmed you. Yes. Um, or you could be just sort of confused and, and confounded and feeling lost and not knowing how to find your way. And, and she got very teary and said, you know, that's why I'm in therapy now. Cause I just, I can't, I don't know how to find my way in the world. I'm so um, wishy-washy in the things that I, I go this way or that way, but it just doesn't feel right. So you have to help people find their own impulse. And that's the therapies that I've been trained to do to help people slow down in their body and find that place where they wanted to be born and have that power of choice which was taken away from them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Another pattern that I talk I talked about is um, just C sections, and um, C section is a big pattern in our world. Um, one in three women in the United States has a C section, but it's higher in other countries actually. And um, the planned C section uh, is really that's another that's you know you have somebody who's just lying there in utero in their own world and suddenly there's this this operation and it's very fast and again it's taking away the intention or that impulse to be born um, but the other also it's very fast I mean that's the one part of it I talked about there are all kinds of things that can happen from a cesarean section it's a very abrupt and so uh, also with emergence at c-sections there can be a coupling so there's this really fast transition and it could be coupled with um, a life death feeling because a lot of babies are who have emergency c-section they have that and it's uh, thank gosh you know we can we can reach in there and help these babies and moms survive these difficult circumstances and those are all their patterns. I mean, it's not just that it's fast that can be overlaid with these life-death feelings and other painful experiences. Um, often babies that are born emergent like that get put in the NICU. And it's very common for premature babies to be born C-section because of something emergent and that separation. And then there are all these things that happen in, in NICU. Um, they're getting better at caring for NICU babies too, by the way. They're getting much more communicative and, and knowing that, ba that this is registering ba and baby's life. So they've gotten better in the NICU also over the 20 years I've been doing this. But the pattern I talked about in the class that you attended yes. was, was a woman that brought her baby and every time she lifted the baby up, the baby was in terror and cried. And what we figured out was that it was the lift out of the out of the mommy's pelvis that was being recapitulated every time she picked up her baby in a certain way. 
and we had to slow the process way down and name it and make repair for that real, really fast way, abrupt way to be born. Yeah. So, for, so for people who there's abrupt change, like 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 this, a lot of people that I've been tending to over the COVID, um, the, it's just tremendous loss right away. It's like it reminds them of this very early time when it was abrupt and fast and painful, and they had a lot of loss. So it's it's an early imprint that can be that can be triggered by the conditions. I mean, that's the one thing I want listeners to know is that you don't all the time aren't all the time in your birth sequence. It has to be something about the conditions that will trigger it, and the the trigger is for it to be completed to be mm-hmm. healed, to be made, make repair for. And then another pattern I talked about was getting stuck, which is really, really, uh, really um, common. And a lot of babies have a stuck place at the end of their third trimester. They're big, the mother's body is ready. You know, you know it's, they're at the capacity and they can then get in a stuck place and they can get stuck in their body in a little twist um, and then, and then it, it can be hard to rest when you're in a twist. You know, sometimes you even impact your cord, uh, which can create hypoxia. There's a lot that happens at the end. And so the, the story I told was um, a woman that gave birth who went post-dates. And um, I showed the film of her, uh, of her renegotiating her birth. But when she was born, she had shoulder dystocia, which is really also a a common, the shoulders get stuck, and it can be a life-death moment for mother and baby. And it it was for this mother-baby dyad that I showed you the whole case study of that. I can tell the whole story from complete start to finish if your listeners want to hear that. But the way it manifested uh, for this this child was that... um, she, a lot of, I found from the inside out, my own feeling is that babies that have a life-death feel, sometimes they live bigger than life. They just do. And it can be, even if they have a natural tendency towards that, it can make it bigger. But um, in her sequencing, she was, mother Her brought her to me because she was taking over story time at the preschool. <laughs> and, uh, and when I heard her story, I first worked a lot with the mother. I mean, we don't, don't just work with our children in isolation. They're connected to their mothers and their caregivers and their families. Yes. And this mother had a lot going on for her when she was pregnant with this child. I mean, she lost her mother during um, her pregnancy, which they found that parental loss during pregnancy is an adverse event that can influence the neurodevelopment of the baby. And she stopped caring for herself and got depressed. So she went post-dates, which meant that she went two weeks overdue and was, was actually um, had to be induced. But she was induced with Pitocin, which is a very difficult way to be induced. It's very painful and abrupt. There's all kinds of ways to induce a mother, but Pitocin actually is difficult and quite common. But she was over, she was all close to 10 pounds. And so the, the mother, um, she tried to, she labored a long time, but the baby got stuck and they had to do a lot of cutting to get the baby out. 
and the mother hemorrhage. So she nearly bled to death, which is a very, very common, um, it's a very common adverse event at hospitals. I just want to name for anyone listening that this mother baby dia did great. I know that if this is your story too, this may be hard for you to hear. Mm-hmm. But then, um, so the mother went on, she came to me be- also because she was having her second baby. Um, and I do a lot of care for mother baby dyads. That's, I think, where our interventions need to go right now is caring for these families with babies. Um, but I did get her to differentiate from that difficult birth. And she did go on to have an optimal second birth with her second child. But with her first baby, what you all watched was this child renegotiating this difficult birth. So we play games with children that have difficult births. And I showed her the tunnel for the first time. So she unfolded the tunnel and created this huge game where she would go through the tunnel with her mother and I would be waiting at the end and I was clearly the bad guy. Mm -hmm. And I was to come after the mother and the baby and they would run away from me and then slam the door in my face. And this was all a game created by this child. And and so for her, it was an empowering game to go through the birth tunnel with her mother without intervention or near death or anything, get away from the bad, because clearly in her memory, being taken away from her mother meant that this man, the doctor, was the bad guy. So for her, this game was a way of, of repairing this difficult birth. I showed you the film of that, and that's actually um, very common. We have four different games that we introduce to play with children that have had difficult births, and uh, this is how we repair. And, I mean, that's the story of, that I, yes. of getting, getting stuck. Yes. So it's, what, what are the other games of the four games that you often introduce? Um, well, I, what, another really common game is protection. So when a baby has had difficult birth, often these are the births in the NICU where they get, you know, there's 65 different events per day um, that happen to a baby's in NICU. A lot of things happen to babies there. So there could be a feeling of great vulnerability and fear. Um, And so often, you know, if you've had an intervention without preparation, in your mind, that kind of thing can happen all the time, especially if it's unresolved, unseen, unnamed, and you're carrying the memory of it in your body. It's like being assaulted from behind. You're going to be really aware of, of what goes on behind you. Yes. Or if you're driving in a car and you have a car accident, you're going to be ultra aware, of, you know, if there's conditions that feel anything like. So when babies come, what I do is um, there's a ways that we meet them. First of all, empowering them. So if there's a natural sense of aggression, maybe a child does have a natural sense of I'm going to fight. Of course, it's their their neurophysiology. So we meet them. We're able to create friendly ways, friendly game, because play is a way of being with this sort of assertive sympathetic action, fight-flight, Yes. And make it safe. Yes. And, and so protection, often I will engage the mother and baby together to, to push away a threat. 
often the thread is a form of a stuffed animal or like a puppet. My, in my office, the favorite puppet is the alligator to be the bad guy because he's got these big teeth. Mm -hmm. uh, other bad guy puppets are dragons and snakes and bears. Often bears are considered um, uh, friendly in my office, uh, friendly protectors. So we, we engage in protection. So um, there'll be a threat and the mother and child engage in pushing away the threat. And this will bring the mother baby together and it will create a sense of protection. That's empowerment games and protection games. Mm. Um, birth games I've already described to you. Yes. Often we've used through the tunnels or I help the parent. I teach them how to create birth type experiences using their own bodies. Babies will show you. They'll tell you their story if you give them a chance. Mm. Um, and if they get it that you get it, then the floodgates will open and they'll just tell you. Um, and the last game is attachment games. And these are games often of um, going away and coming back. We teach them like playing with big yoga balls. We teach climbing up on top of pillows and jumping into the lap of the parent. And often in what we're taught are child-led games. They're not, they're not, oh, we'll set this up. You know, sometimes I'll, I'll put out toys and see what the child wants to do. And then often if their body wants to repair, they will. They, they'll say, I want the tunnel, give me the tunnel, and I'll show you exactly. And um, if you look at some of our pioneers, they're all, they have a lot of documentation around this. Yeah. Wendy Ann McCarty, Michael Trout, <laughs> uh, yes. and his, in, his infant coherent narrative work is amazing. And that I'm teaching versions of that as well. Only I combine repair work. I call them belly messages. But there are other people outside the birth psychology paradigm that teach it as well. Martha Welch and her family nurture science program. I mean, we have now an awareness that we need to be making repair with these babies. Yes, yes. And, and that's what we can do. And with our mothers, Yes. And, quite, and quite honestly, with our staff, um, we need to bring ourselves around them too, because they've seen a lot and they've not known. And once you begin to give them this information, they can spiral into, you know, like, oh my God, I've, I once taught a group of nurses up in, up in Vermont and I had them each be born. There's a little kind of process we can take them through. And one woman said, oh my God, I say all kinds of things to babies when they're being born. I should watch more what I say. Ah! I mean, this huge light bulb went on. Like, oh my God, I I really need need to be more careful. Which, uh -huh. I mean, and I was just doing a little exercise with them on the floor, having them feel their own birth sequence. Wow. So, Kate, as we wind down here, I'm I'm thinking so. Um, a lot of our listeners are psychotherapists. Mm -hmm. um, we have a lot of listeners um, because of our attachment emphasis who might be um, adoptive parents. Um, mm -hmm. And I guess I'm, I'm sitting here thinking like if there would be just a couple takeaways, you know, 
not everyone's going to be an SE practitioner or, 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 you know, do things to the depth that you're doing, but I'm wondering, like, is it, if there's a, a few takeaway things for whatever, whatever kind of work you're doing, whether it's just ask or be curious about the person's birth or, you know, what, what would you say, you know, what could someone add if they're a psychotherapist to what they're doing based on what you're sharing here or a parent? Well, ask them if they know what their birth is like. I mean, that, that might be a nice question. And I understand from talking to psychotherapeutic professionals that you all do that. Some, some do, not all. Well, I, I do think that, um, that if you could get a, if you could understand a little bit more about the imprints, about what happens for people, you call them internal working models, but you know, that's just, I mean, it's, there can be things that are so mysterious, like, and yet they last our whole lives. So trying to understand more about whether or not they were a wanted baby, you know, uh, whether or not they, you know, a little bit more about their baby, their baby experiences. And that would be something that you can do. But if you're a psychotherapeutic person and you've never been introduced to this paradigm, um, I mean, they're, there are ways you can you can learn more about it. You know, you can t- take a like I have seminars that are offered through my online school. Um, you can just begin to read. There's some pretty books or books. More books and articles are coming out more. Yes. But I, I know that um, this work is about something from the inside out. So I would suggest to those people who are listening and captivated, because you might just be captivated the way I was, like, how could this be? How could this early experience and someone else be affecting me? And so do your own work, engage in your own birth pattern, understand it, and then watch what happens in your surround. People will become around you who all of a sudden you'll see through this lens Mm. Um, you'll see through it and um, I can recommend resources uh, for you if you wish. Yeah. Um, So certainly we want to let listeners know where to find all of your wonderful resources and the, and the classes and things that you do and how to find you. And and then if there's anything else you want to share people who are intrigued and want to know more. Well, I have an online school, which is um, prenatal and perinatal healing online, if you Google that. And I have little classes that you can take. I'm launching a couple of trainings. One of them is called Integrated Prenatal and Perinatal Dynamics. I also have the Leading Edge Seminars, which are skills of understanding the baby's story. Um, those are small. The, leading, the Integrated Prenatal Perinatal Dynamics is for people who work with birthing families. Um, and I'm developing a whole touch sequence training also. But if you just want to get your feet wet and you want to understand, I would become a member of APA. I would do birthpsychology.com. I ran their department. I founded and ran their Department of Education for six years. And they still have the 11-module online program there that I started. And it's being run now by a very great person. And I think that you can still get a lot out of that um, program. Even if you become like a, a member, you can become a member of APA, you can read through their journals, their peer-reviewed journal, and you can go to their conferences, which the next one won't be till next year. 
And what does um, that acronym stand for for people? What? APA, the Association for Prenatal and Perinatal Psychology and Health. Um, but there are other organizations now that are doing it. Um, there's Our Birth Journey, which is over in, in England. There's an integrated baby therapy course that's being offered by my friend Matthew Appleton in England. Um, and there's MyrnaMartin.net. Myrna Martin was one of my teachers. She offers a videotape series that you can order. Um, okay. And she's having a sale right now. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, it's, and, you know, there's a lot of us now out here. It's taken a while, but um, you can become a fully trained practitioner by Ray Castellino, and you can get involved with his clinic, Building and Enhancing Bonding and Attachment, BABA, that's BABA.org. And, and I know that's a lot for you all, since I rattled all that off, but I, I, I know that I can recommend books and I can recommend all kinds of things if you want to find me. My website's um, ppncenter.com, um, the Center for Prenatal and Perinatal Programs, and... Um, I have some really interesting things coming up for those who are wanting to learn about about imprints. You can find me there um, or email me at ppncenter at gmail.com. Beautiful. Well, Kate, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for sharing all of your wonderful experience. Thank you for your gentle way of sharing. It's just been so delightful. Well, thank you for inviting me and giving me a chance to talk about what I love. Um, I truly am grateful and appreciate you. Goodbye for now. Mm -hmm. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Attachment Theory in Action. Please follow our site, tkcchattock.org, or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean for future podcasts. If you enjoyed our podcast, please leave a review and share with your professional network. For additional resources, training opportunities, and blogs, please log on to tkcchattock.org. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to explore the world of adoption, trauma, and attachment theory.